Hello again, Justin Spencer here. Beowulf was one of J.R.R. Tolkien's favorite books. He even made his own translation of it that was just recently released by his son Christopher. And I think if you've ever read The Hobbit, that you'll find many parts of this next episode very familiar. In a lecture that Tolkien gave on the subject of Beowulf, he made the point that, for the culture in which the story was originally told, the legend of Beowulf was told as a kind of encouragement. That encouragement was that, in the battle against evil and death and destruction, you stand a good chance of dying yourself, but that is not any reason not to fight. There are many times when the dragons we might face are bigger and stronger than we believe we are capable of fighting. Sometimes evil looks too big, but we should be like Beowulf and fight for good anyways. Welcome to part four of Storylight's production of Beowulf. Chapter 7 How Beowulf Returned to His Own Land Proudly the Goths marched along with Beowulf in their midst until they reached Hart Hall, and there, still carrying the hideous head of Grendel, they entered in and greeted Hrothgar. Great was the astonishment of the king and his nobles at the sight of Beowulf, Never again had they thought to see the daring warrior, so now they welcomed him with much rejoicing, and their rejoicing was mingled with wonder and awe as they gazed upon the awful head of Grendel. The queen, too, who sat beside the king, turned from it with a shudder. Then, when the noise of joyful greeting was stilled a little, Beowulf spoke. Behold, O king! he said. We bring thee these offerings in token of victory. From the conflict under the water have I hardly escaped with my life. Had not the all-wise shielded me, I had never more seen the sun and the joyful light of day. For although hunting be a mighty and good sword, in this fight it availed me nothing, so I cast it from me and fought with mine hands only. But the water witch was strong and evil, and I had but little hope of life. When it chanced that I saw on the walls there of that grim cave an old and powerful sword. Quickly then I drew that weapon, and therewith slew I the dreadful foe. After that I espied the body of Grendel, which lay there and cut off his head, which now I bring to thee. But even as I had done that, lo, a marvel happened, and the blade did melt even as ice under the summer sun. Such was the venom of that ogre's blood, that the hilt only of the sword have I borne away with me. But now I promise thee, henceforth mayest thou and thy company of warriors sleep safe in Hart Hall. No longer will the demon folk trouble it. Then Beowulf gave the golden hilt to the king, and he, taking it, gazed on it in wonder. It was exceeding ancient and of marvellous workmanship, a very treasure, 
Upon the gold of it in curious letters was written for whom that sword had been first wrought. The writing told, too, how it had been made in long days past, when giants stalked the earth in pride. In the hall there was silence as Hrothgar gazed upon the relic. Then, in the silence, he spoke. Thy glory is exalted through wide ways, O friend Beowulf, he said. Over every nation thy fame doth spread, yet thou bearest it modestly, true warrior-like. Again I renew my plighted love to thee, and to thine own people mayest thou long be a joy. I for half a hundred years had ruled my folk, and under all the wide heaven there was no foe who stood against me. Within my borders there was peace and joy. Then, lo, after joy came sadness, and Grendel became my foe, my invader. But thanks be to the eternal Lord, I am yet in life to see that fearful head besprent with gore. And now, O great in war, go thou to thy seat, enjoy the feast, and when it shall be morning, thou and I shall deal together in many treasures. Then at these words Beowulf was glad at heart and went straight away to his seat as the king commanded. And once again the Dane folk and the Goths feasted together in merry mood. At length the day grew dim, and darkness fell upon the land. All the courtiers then rose, and the grey-bearded king sought his couch. Beowulf too rejoiced greatly at the thought of rest, for he was weary with his long contest. So the king's servants, with every honour and reverence, guided him to the room prepared for him. Silence and peace descended upon the hall and palace. Hour after hour the night passed, and no demon foe disturbed the sleep of Goth or Dane. And when the morning sun shone again, the Goths arose, eager to see their own land once more. Beowulf then called one of his thanes, and bade him bear the famous sword, grunting, back to Hunverth. Great thanks he gave for it, nor spoke he word of blame against the good blade. Nay, twas a good war-friend, said the high-souled warrior. Then, impatient to depart, with arms all ready, the Goths came to bid King Hrothgar farewell. Now to thee we seafarers would bid farewell, said Beowulf, for we would seek again our own king, Higlak. Here we have been kindly served. Thou hast entreated us well. If I can now do aught more of warlike works on thy behalf, O Hrothgar, I am straightway ready. If from far over sea I hear that thy dwelling foes come again, I will bring thousands of warriors to thine aid. For well I know that Higlak, king of the Goths, young though he be, will help me to fight for thee, and will not refuse his thanes. 
With gracious words the old king thanked the young warrior. Rich presents too he gave to him, of gold and gems, of splendidly wrought armor, and he bade him seek his own people, but come again right speedily. As Hrothgar said farewell, he put his arms round Beowulf's neck and kissed him. Then he watched the hero march away across the fields of summer green, his eyes filled with tears. It was to the king as if he parted from a beloved son. Proudly and gladly the Goths marched on, until they came to the shore where the warden watched who had met them at their first landing. Now, as he saw them come, he rode towards them with words of welcome. For already the tale of Beowulf's great deeds had been told to him. And thus, at length, the Goths reached their ship, but it lay by the shore awaiting their coming. Into it was piled all the treasure with which Hrothgar had loaded the heroes. The horses were led on board, the glittering shields were hung along the sides, the sails were spread. Then from out his treasure hoard Beowulf chose a splendid sword and gave it to the thane who had watched by the ship and kept it safe. And he, greatly rejoicing, departed to his fellows and was by them ever after held in honor by reason of the sword that Beowulf had given to him. Now at length all was ready. The last man leapt on board the sails shook themselves to the wind, and out upon the waves floated the foam-necked vessel. Bounding over the sea went the Goths, listening to the song of the wind and the waves, until they came to the shore of their beloved land. The ship touched the shore. Right joyously the warriors sprang to earth, greeting their kinsmen who welcomed them from the far land. Beowulf then bade his servants bring the great load of treasure, while he and his comrades set out along the sandy shore to Higlak's palace. Quickly before them ran messengers bearing to the king the joyous news that Beowulf, his loved comrade, had returned alive and unhurt. Unwounded from the game of war, he had returned, and was even now marching towards the palace. Gladly the king greeted the hero, joyful words he spake. Then he made Beowulf to sit beside him while Higd, his fair queen, bare the mead cup through the hall. Higlak was eager to hear all that had befallen his friend. Tell it unto me, he cried, how it befall with thee on the way, dear Beowulf, how hath it fared with thee since thou didst on a sudden resolve to seek conflict afar? Sorrow and care have possessed my mind. I have grieved for thee, my friend, lest evil should come to thee. Therefore, this day I thank thee all wise that I see thee safe and whole. It is no secret, my lord Higlak, answered Beowulf. How I met and overcame the ogre. None of Grendel's kinsmen who may yet dwell upon earth have any cause to boast of that twilight meeting. And then, from the beginning of the adventure to the end of it, Beowulf told, 
Sitting beside the king, he told of all that had befallen him and his comrades since the first they set sail from Gothland. He told of the friendly greeting of the king, of the fight with Grendel, and with Grendel's mother, the foul water witch. And at last, he told of all the rewards and thanks that had been heaped upon him. To all the tale, Higlak listened with wonder and delight, for he joyed to hear of the great deeds of his loved comrade. When Beowulf had finished telling his tale, he bade his servants bring in the treasure. Then turning to the king, he spoke. To thee, O warrior king, he said, I gladly give these riches, for all my joy in life cometh from thee. Save thee, O Higlak, few kinsmen I have. Then to the king he gave a splendid suit of armor, helmet and sword, four steeds all with their rich harness, and much treasure beside. To Higd, the queen, Beowulf gave the collar which Wealthyow had bestowed upon him. Also, he gave to her three black steeds, saddled and harnessed with gold and silver work. And the king, on his part, gave Beowulf a sword of honor, a palace, and much land. Thus was the mighty warrior brought to great honor. Then, for many years, Beowulf lived happily and beloved. For although he was strong and mighty in battle, he was gentle and courteous in peace. His was no savage soul delighting in slaughter. He held himself ever in battle, but as a good soldier should. Indeed, Beowulf was so gentle in peace that in his youth the great warriors of the Goths had little thought of him. But now that he had proved that though in peace his words were smooth, in battle his arms were strong, all men honored him. And thus it befell that when Higlak died in battle, and afterward his son also, the broad realm of Gothland was given unto Beowulf to rule, and there for fifty years he reigned a well-loved king and all the land had peace. Chapter 8 How the Fire Dragon Warred with the Goth Folk And now, when many years had come and gone, and the realm had long time been at peace, Sorrow came upon the people of the Goths, and thus it was that evil came. It fell upon a time that a servant, by his misdeeds, roused his master's wrath, and when his lord would have punished him he fled in terror. And as he fled, trembling to hide himself, he came by chance into a great cave. There the servant hid, thankful for refuge. But soon he had cause to tremble in worse fear than before, for in the darkness of the cave he saw that a fearful dragon lay asleep. Then 
as the servant gazed in terror at the awful beast, he saw that it lay guarding a mighty treasure. Never had he seen such a mass of wealth, swords and armor inlaid with gold, cups and vessels of gold and silver set with precious stones, rings and bracelets lay piled around in glittering heaps. For hundreds of years this treasure had lain there in secret. A great prince had buried it in sorrow for his dead warriors. In his land there had been much fighting until he alone of all his people was left. Then, in bitter grief, he gathered all his treasure and hid it in this cave. Take, O earth, he cried, what heroes might not keep. Lo, good men and true once before earned it from thee. Now a warlike death hath taken away every man of my people. There is none now to bear the sword or receive the cup. There is no more joy in the battlefield or in the hall of peace. So here shall the gold-adorned helmet molder, here the coat of mail rust and the wine cup lie empty. Thus the sad prince mourned. Beside his treasure he sat weeping both day and night until death took him also, and of all his people there was none left. So the treasure lay hidden and secret for many a day. Then, upon a time, it happened that a great dragon, fiery-eyed and fearful, as it flew by night and prowled seeking mischief, came upon the buried hoard. As all men know, a dragon ever loveth gold, so to guard his new-found wealth, lest any should come to rob him of it, He laid down him there, and the cave became his dwelling. Thus, for three hundred years he lay gloating over his treasure, no man disturbing him. But now at length it chanced that the fleeing servant lighted upon the hoard. His eyes were dazzled by the shining heap. Upon it lay a cup of gold, wondrously chased and adorned. If... I can but gain that cup, said the servant to himself. I will return it to my master, and for the sake of the gold he will surely forgive me. So well the dragon slept. Trembling and fearful, the servant crept nearer and nearer the glittering mass. When he came quite near, he reached forth his hand and seized the cup. Then with it he fled back to his master. It befell then as the servant had foreseen. For the sake of the wondrous cup, his misdeeds were forgiven him. But when the dragon awoke, his fury was great. Well knew he that mortal man had trod his cave and stolen his hoard. Round and round he sniffed and searched until he discovered the footprints of his foe. Eagerly then, all over the ground, he sought to find the man who, while he slept, had done him this ill. 
Hot and fierce of mood, he went backwards and forwards round about his treasure heaps. All within the cave he searched in vain. Then coming forth, he searched without. All round the hill in which his cave was, he prowled. But no man could he find, nor in all the wilds around was there any man. Again, the old dragon returned. Again he searched among his treasure heaps for the precious cup. Nowhere was it to be found. It was too surely gone. But the dragon, as well as loving gold, loved war. So now, in angry mood, he lay couched in his lair. Scarce could he wait until darkness fell, such was his wrath. With fire he was resolved to repay the loss of his dear drinking cup. Spreading his mighty wings, he flew through the air until he came to the houses of men. Then spitting forth flame, he set fire to many a happy homestead. Wherever the lightning of his tongue struck, their fire flamed forth, until where the fair homes of men had been, there was naught but blackened ruins. Here and there, this way and that, through all the land he sped, and wherever he passed, fire flamed aloft. The warfare of the dragon was seen from far. The malice of the worm was known from north to south, from east to west. All men knew how the fearful foe hated and ruined the goth folk. Then, having worked mischief and desolation all night through, the fire dragon turned back. To his secret cave he slunk again ere break of day. Behind him he left the land wasted and desolate. The dragon had no fear of revenge of man. In his fiery warfare he trusted to find shelter in his hill and in his secret cave. But in that trust he was misled. Speedily to the King Beowulf were the tidings of the dragon and his spoiling carried. For alas, even his own fair palace was wrapped in flame. Before his eyes he saw the fiery tongues lick up his treasures. Even the gift seat of the Goths melted in fire. Then was the good king sorrowful. His heart boiled within him with angry thoughts. The fire dragon had utterly destroyed the pleasant homes of his people. For this, the war prince greatly desired to punish him. Therefore did Beowulf command that a great shield should be made for him, all of iron. He knew well that a shield of wood could not help him in this need. Wood against fire. Nay, that were useless. His shield must be all of iron. Too proud, too, was Beowulf the hero of old time, to seek the winged beast with a troop of soldiers. Not thus would he overcome him. He feared not for himself, nor did he dread the dragon's warcraft. For with his valor and his skill, Beowulf had succeeded many a time. He had been victorious in many a tumult of battle since the day when a young man and a warrior prosperous in victory 
He had cleansed Hart Hall by grappling with Grendel and his kin. And now, when the Great Iron Shield was ready, he chose eleven of his best thanes and set out to seek the dragon. Very wrathful was the old king, very desirous that death should take his fiery foe. He hoped, too, to win the great treasure of gold which the fell beast guarded. For already Beowulf had learned whence the feud arose, whence came the anger which had been so hurtful to his people. And the precious cup, the cause of all the quarrel, had been brought to him. With the band of warriors went the servant who had stolen the cup. He it was who must be their guide to the cave, for he alone of all men living knew the way thither. Loath he was to be their guide, but captive and bound he was forced to lead the way over the plain to the dragon's hill. Unwillingly he went with lagging footsteps until at length he came to the cave hard by the seashore. There, by the sounding waves, lay the savage guardian of the treasure, ready for war, and fierce was he. It was no easy battle that there was prepared for any man, brave though he might be. And now, on the rocky point above the sea, King Beowulf sat himself down. Here, he would bid farewell to all his thanes ere he began the combat. For what man might tell which from that fight should come forth victorious? Beowulf's mind was sad. He was now old. His hair was white. His face was wrinkled and grey. But still his arm was strong as that of a young man. Yet something within him warned him that death was not far off. So, on the rocky point, he sat and bade farewell to his dear comrades. In my youth, said the aged king, many battles have I dared, and yet must I, a guardian of my people, though I be full of years, seek still another feud, and again will I win glory if this wicked spoiler of my land will but come forth from his lair. Much he spoke. With loving words he bade farewell to each one of his men, greeted his dear comrades for the last time. I would not bear a sword or weapon against the winged beast, he said at length, if I knew how else I might grapple with the wretch, as of old I did with Grendel. But I ween this warfire is hot, fierce and poisonous. Therefore I have clad me in a coat of mail and bear this shield all of iron. I will not flee a single step from the guardian of the treasure, but to us upon this rampart it shall be as fate will. Now, let me make no more vaunting speech. Ready to fight I am. Let me forth against the winged beast. Await here, here on the mount, clad in your coats of mail, your arms ready. Abide ye here until ye see which of us twain safety cometh forth from the clash of battle. 
It is no enterprise for you, or for any common man. It is mine alone. Alone, I must needs go against the wretch and prove myself a warrior. I must with courage win the goal, or else deadly, baleful war shall fiercely snatch me, your lord, from life. Then Beowulf arose. He was all clad in shining armor. His gold-decked helmet was upon his head, and taking his shield in hand, he strode under the stony cliffs towards the cavern's mouth. In the strength of his single arm, he trusted against the fiery dragon. No enterprise this for a coward. Thank you, again, for continuing to join us for each episode of Storylight. And if you're new to us, we send you the warmest welcome. Whether you're a new listener or an old friend, we at Storylight would be very grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast and give it a nice rating and review on whatever platform you listen. More than that, though... We would love for more people to be able to enjoy these stories. So please, tell a friend about us. You are my joy. You are my happy thoughts. We'll see you next time.